lie of white supremacy and meritocracy. We have to join with black and brown folks who have always known the truth, learn to listen to the truths that they speak because those truths might save our lives. You see, this is not charity work. If white folks are doing anti-racism work to save black and brown folks, we need a new hobby. This is not charity work. This is solidarity work. This is radical self-help work that we have to do for us. People of color will liberate themselves from white supremacy ultimately with or without us, but who's going to liberate us from white supremacy? It's surely not black folks' job. But in the midst of all this pain, there is good news. We have models for this. We know what to do if we're just willing again to look to history, see? Understanding the past to understand the present. You've been listening to White Hoax, Racism, Divide and Conquer in Politics on Making Contact. To learn more about us and access other episodes for free, you can always visit us at radioproject.org. I've been your host, Anita Johnson. Thanks for listening to Making Contact. KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of Saturday in the Park, Vancouver, USA Pride, on Saturday, July 9th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Esther Short Park in Vancouver. This LGBTQ plus Pride celebration includes games, drag queen story hour, education workshops, and more. That's Saturday in the Park, Vancouver, USA Pride on Saturday, July 9th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Esther Short Park, 400 West 6th Street in Vancouver. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. and welcome to Transpositive. Tonight we're doing a part two of our discussion about um, abuse and sexual assault as a trans person and what our experiences are like. Um, I want to give a trigger warning that we will be discussing some very 
difficult topics such as abuse and assault and mental health. So if you are not in a headspace where you're able to deal with this kind of content, now would be a good time to tune out. So why don't we all just go around and introduce ourselves real quick. Uh, my name is Nicolette. I use AM or they, them pronouns, and I'm a co-host here on Transpositive, here to just share my experiences and offer whatever support I can. I'm Carter. I use they, them pronouns, and I am also a co-host. I'm Marcy Grace Frederick, she, her, and I am also a co-host. Um, my name is Emma. I use she and her pronouns, and I'm a co-host of Transpositive. I'm Shannon Batts, and I am a licensed therapist here in Portland, Oregon, and in California, too. Uh, and I use she, her, and I'm here for um, support in whatever way possible. Great, and thank you for being here, everyone. So to kind of recap uh, what we had talked about last week, we all shared our personal experiences with being abused and assaulted. Um, I myself grew up emotionally and physically abused by both of my parents. I was also sexually assaulted as a child. And as an adult, I was sexually abused by a romantic partner and then later sexually assaulted by um, someone I was hooking up with. Um, so I'm, I'm here to share my experiences tonight again and, and talk more in depth about that because there's a lot on this topic to discuss that we didn't even manage to fully get to last time. Um, so uh, if people wanna go around and just talk a little bit about their experiences and we can start diving into um, more on this topic that we didn't quite get to last time. Who wants to go first? Hi, this is Carter. Um, so I wanted to uh, just mention again how I was abused as a child um, and then I was assaulted in high school and then um, after high school, I was staying in a transitional housing program and I was assaulted um, after um, joining that program um, and meeting a partner who I thought I could trust. Um, when I had told the people um, that work there that I was assaulted, they said that the only thing that they were required to do by law was to file a report with uh, DHS and um, that was difficult for me because I was 17. Um, I might have just turned 18 and I didn't have any sort of support uh, to help file that report um, except for um, another friend who lived in the program with me um, and so they had came to uh, help me file the report um, uh, and then after I filed the report the police officer had suggested that I get a restraining order against um, the person who assaulted me. Um, and I I ended up going to court to get the restraining order. Um, and when you file for a protection order, you have to go into as much detail as you can so that the judge understands why you're getting the restraining order, why you're getting the protection order. Um, and for me, I had to go into detail about how I was assaulted during seizures as well as after seizures, um, uh, which was horrific for me to think about having to write down all of this stuff and then give it to someone that I didn't know. Um, and I had gone through this process uh, right after high school as well, 
trying to get a restraining order. Um, and that protection order had been dropped by the judge um, after getting a temporary one because that judge had said that that person had the rest of their life to live. Um, and then uh, when I tried for my second restraining order um, against someone else, a person from the housing program I was in, um, I had gotten the temporary and then I had to go back um, because they were contesting it and I had to go back to court and when I went to court, I had asked if um, one or two of the staff members could come to court with me and uh, talk about what they had seen um, as a result of the abuse that I had faced because it wasn't just sexual abuse, it was also physical um, assaults and um, I was told that one of the staff members was going to, and then I am um, after a week, I am like a week later, I had asked him again if he could uh, talk on my behalf. And he had said that he wasn't allowed to. Uh, not that he didn't want to, but that he wasn't allowed to. Um, for me to find out that the housing, pro housing program I was in I um, came to support the other person. Um, and so when I had gotten there, I, the program that I was in had to choose sides. And because I had a lawyer that I could trust, because I had witnesses that um, the housing program helped them instead of me uh, because they also deserved support is what I was told. Um, I ended up having a seizure in that courtroom and after I had the seizure I was taken to the hospital but the judge never stopped the hearing um, even though that like I had to be taken out of the courtroom into the hospital. Um, and then after that, they had dropped the protection order against me. So part of the reason that we're talking about this tonight is because almost 47, 47% uh, of all transgender people have been sexually assaulted at some point in their lives. These rates are even higher for trans people of color and those who have done sex work, been homeless, or have had a disability. Um, Carter, I, I don't know if you knew this statistic, but 61% of all trans and non-binary people who have lived with disabilities have been the subjects of sexual or uh, domestic violence. I did not know that. I knew that it was pretty high, um, but I did not know it was, it was that high. Yeah. Yeah, those are shockingly high numbers. Um, so that's why it's important for us to talk about our experiences as trans people who have dealt with assault and abuse because it's so prevalent for our population. Um, one topic I really wanted to make sure that we touch on tonight, because it sounds like all of us who are survivors in, in this group anyway have dealt with this, is issues with reporting such as reporting to police, reporting to CPS, reporting to other authority figures. You know, Carter was just talking a bit about that. And I know that's something that I dealt with as well. Um, like when I was growing up, I tried to tell people what was going on at home with my parents, such as like counselors and teachers. And because my parents were so good at putting on this act of, you know, they were just the absolute perfect parents. They didn't believe me. They were always like, oh, no, I've met your parents. They're so nice. They would never do that. Um, and I mean, maybe that, that mentality just kind of followed me into adulthood when I started experiencing sexual assault. Um, but with my, my ex who sexually abused me, you know, I knew that it would be their word against mine. Um, and it was, 
it would have been easy to say, well, you two were in a relationship. So how, how do we know if you had consented to sex before, how do we know that it, these, these occurrences were not consensual? Um, and that was also kind of a similar problem that I ran into when I was sexually assaulted by a hookup. Um, you know, I knew again, it, it started off as consensual. It, it started off that way and I later withdrew consent. So it would again be his word against mine and I could just picture those cops in my head saying, oh, but you consented at first. You, you can't withdraw consent because there, there have been cases of that happening. Um, so I, I know it's, it sounds like all of us have dealt with issues of reporting and it's so important to talk about that because a lot of people ask, well, why didn't you just report it? I've stated my reasons now why I didn't report um, at least my, my past couple um, incidents. Um, so uh, if, if, if any of you wanna discuss more about um, issues you've dealt with in regards to reporting, feel free to share those now. According to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, 57% of trans and non-binary people have said that they feel uncomfortable asking the police for help. <clears throat> so that's more than half of all transgender people. And also 58% who interacted with law enforcement in the past year experienced mistreatment, such as verbal harassment, repeated misgendering, physical assault, or sexual assault. Those who have done income-based sex work were even more likely to have problems. So these are all statistics from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, and I think they're very much um, related to what you want to talk about tonight, Nicolette. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Emma. Um, does anyone else want to talk about their experiences with reporting assault? Yeah, so after um, I was assaulted in high school, I, it was right before I had turned 16 and I was already bullied a lot um, for anything that kids could think of um, from elementary to high school. And um, I remember going to my band director and I'm telling her what had happened and that was three months later after um, my assault because I didn't want to think about it. Um, the person was supposed to transfer schools. And um, when I had told my teacher, it was also at the same time that my grandpa was passing, um, which was probably why I had reported it, um, because there was just so much guilt and shame building up through my body um, that I had to talk to someone about it. And uh, my friends weren't people that I could talk to about it. Um, and then about two days later, I uh, was going to go visit my grandpa in the hospital and um, I hear a knock at the door um, and I was living with my my mom at the time. I heard a knock at the door and then I hear my brother say, um, yelling that there was a police officer at the door and I didn't know how fast I could run until I heard those words. Um, and I went flying down the stairs and um, I had asked the police officer to um, step away with me because I knew that my family would end up listening to uh, the conversation that I was gonna have with her. And um, the first thing that I said was uh, my pronouns. And she was like, okay, thank you for telling me, mine is she, her. And um, then I told her that I am 
more than willing to talk to her, but I cannot do it at my uh, at my mom's house and that she can come to school uh, to talk to me. And she did um, the next week and um, it was right uh, right before my grandpa had passed and I was still in school. My class that I was in also had the person who assaulted me. I couldn't switch out of that class. Um, there was no way of switching that class. I had probably switched my classes around seven to 10 times trying to find a class that um, I wasn't going to see him in and I wasn't going to be bullied in um, because I was already being bullied um, for uh, telling my, my teacher about it. Um, how someone found out that I told my teacher, I don't know, but uh, someone had found out. Um, and I remember getting a slip from the office to, to go to the office. And uh, I grabbed all of my stuff to, and was leaving class. And someone, um, one of his friends, uh, who was a very popular queer kid in, in the school, um, said, go have fun spreading your lies. Um, and then after that, I talked to the deputy and she was really cool. And she gave me um, the uh, like resources to different uh, crisis lines. Um, and then she also gave me uh, a resource to SMERC, the Sexuality and Gender Youth Minority Resource Center here in Portland. Um, and she, I still ha have contact with her. I still give her updates on my life and how I'm doing because she made a big impact and she was really awesome to me. So I keep her updated on how I'm doing. And if I'm ever having a really hard day, I can email her and I'm, she'll respond pretty quickly. Um, but after she took my report, she had to hand it over to a detective and he was a different story. Um, for for me, once I told him that my pronouns were they, them, he really wanted to shut down the conversation. He didn't want to have anything else to do with the conversation. Um, and I pretty much had to talk him into taking my statement, um, which I never thought that I would have had to do. Um, so I just, I want to say something, um, Aher, this is related to what you were just reporting, um, Carter. According to the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, um, there a lot of transgender people feel reluctant to report if they have been victims of sexual or domestic violence. And there are many reasons for it. Um, some survivors may be reluctant to report because they fear it will reflect badly on their community, um, or they feel that it may be unjustly labeled as the perpetrator. But a big concern that many LGBTQ people have is they're afraid that they will be outed. You know, so if they're trans, they're afraid that their trans status might be disclosed if they're lesbian or gay, they're afraid that that might be disclosed. And that's a fear that they have not only like with reporting to law enforcement, 
But it's also a fear that students have. So students who are in school have this concern. So if they've been a victim of rape, if they've been a victim of, you know, inappropriate touch, if they've been a victim of some kind of sexual assault in school, um, they may be afraid to disclose that they've become victimized because they're afraid of being outed. And that could lead to much more devastating consequences. So there's a lot, it takes a lot of courage to report when you've been victimized. And people who have been victimized need to know that they're going to be supported. I mean, that's what I really took away from your story, Carter, was that like, you felt like at some point you didn't feel the trust, you know, you didn't feel like you were going to get supported. And so that became an issue. In school, I only had a few friends. Um, I was not popular at all. And um, it, when you live in a small town, it can be very hard to talk to people, especially because when I was younger in elementary school, I was being um, sexually abused. And I told my friends about it and uh, my friends just laughed at me. This seems to be a common theme. This is Shannon talking again here. Is like you're all experiencing, I'm sure this is very common. It just speaks to the heart of all of the experiences of trauma, assault, abuse, is not being taken seriously. I mean, Emma, you introduced the whole idea about fear of being exposed when it wasn't your decision yet. I mean, not you personally, but trans kids, for example, not wanting to be outed or others, but, um, but this not being taken seriously business, um, you know, it's experienced on a family level, it's friends level, but, you know, speaking to what Nicolette's been introducing in tonight, it's the systemic level, like law enforcement or in Carter's example of um, different types of people in uh, supervisory positions, either people who are taking reports for DHS or for law or folks in a courtroom, judges, whatever, it's like not being taken seriously. I think this is this is an important thing to draw out, like how uh, it's happened, how it happens, and then, you know, what can we do to step up to pressure the kinds of changes that are needed? Many survivors of sexual violence experience a loss of control during an assault. So for queer survivors, being outed without their consent can further their trauma and is potentially dangerous. A survivor may be at further risk of violence or discrimination if outed to someone who is not supportive of their identity. LGBTQ survivors may choose not to report sexual violence because they don't have access to resources. This is especially applicable for transgender folks, such as cases in which transgender women can access services because their gender identity is not affirmed and recognized. So um, that's from RAIN, R-A-I-N-N.org. And it's um, an organization that supports people who have been victimized, who are victims of um, incest and sexual assault. Thank you, Nicolette. Thank you, Emma. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I can definitely understand how um, queer and trans identity can intersect with not wanting to report or not being taken seriously. Um, I'm trying to stick to mainly sharing my own stories tonight, but I know someone who's very close to me is a trans woman who um, got raped many years ago, and when she reported it, um, she was told, well, you're a man, quote-unquote. You can't be raped, especially since she was raped by a woman. They were like, you, you, you can't be raped by a woman. You're a man, um, which she's not, but, you know, there, there are people in law enforcement that unfortunately see it that way. Um, and 
I know for me, it had more to do with, I guess, not so much my my um, gender and sexual identity, just so much as the circumstances and so many misconceptions that society has about how sexual assault happens. Um, like so many people think that it's it's only rape if like some stranger pins you in an alley and and forces you to have sex. You know, it's there's there's many different ways that it happens and in, unfortunately most of the time sexual assault is um the person that does it to you the perpetrator is someone that you know um like i was explaining um i've i've seen many people believe that you can't be sexually assaulted by a romantic partner but my ex who i was with for nearly 3 years um there were repeated instances where I would wake up in the middle of the night to uh, them having sex with me and I would tell them to stop and I'd try and push them off of me but they just wouldn't stop and you know and that is rape and um, another thing about that it did happen repeatedly and every time they would always apologize and insist that they were never going to do it again and that turned out to be a lie and I eventually realized that they were never going to stop which is why I left them and that's why I want to put out this message right now if somebody is abusing you I don't care if they say they're going to stop they're not going to stop and it's I advise that you leave that person um and yeah I was also explaining with um the person that I was hooking up with um it started out consensual um but then part way through he started getting really rough and it started to hurt so I told him to stop and he wouldn't stop and he slapped me across the face and that is assault and I know there's there's literally judges saying that you can't withdraw consent during sex it's not rape if you gave consent first but that is absolutely false so because of those reasons that's why I chose not to report because I felt like I wouldn't be taken seriously and maybe I still had some lingering trauma of not being taken seriously when I was growing up when I tried to report what my parents were doing to me and nobody took me seriously I just didn't want to go through that again I didn't want to risk going through that again so that's why I chose not to report hmm. Shannon can you help us um, at this point maybe unpack some of the stories that we've heard tonight from Carter and from Nicolette Sorry, something that Nicolette was just referring to um, about that just jumps right out at me because the apologizing and then repeat offense, this is such a classic cycle of violence that is known in the domestic violence world of research and treatment and your and lived experiences. This is exactly what I lived through too as a child with repeated increasingly violent acts. It's not like uh, someone who is exerting control and power and abuse like that is just doing it every second of the day. They they have these cycles where you think of it like a wheel. You might have heard of it. You can Google it, wheel of violence. And um, it has a incident. Typically, there's something, if it's violence, um, like a, a fight that uh, the person gets into a battering mode, then they blame the person that they're hurting. And then they get all apologetic. And then there's that whole honeymoon phase you've probably heard of, um, which is like meant to manipulate and control more. There's also denigration. If, they, if you can be humiliated or de denigrated or gaslit, then it devalues you in your own eyes and gets, this is where people talk about the insidious sort of brainwashing that's going on sometimes for you. But it's like, you start to doubt yourself and doubt and you start to question whether anybody will believe you. And it doesn't matter if you are injured and you have visible bruising or you, there's you've been to the hospital or whatever, you're still gonna be subject to that sort of, um, I want to say gaslighting, but ga gaslighting is thrown around so often, it's sort of like being attached to so many things, but really um, 
<clears throat> yeah, the same with narcissist. Yeah, devaluing you. Um, folks who are experts in this, I'm not an expert in it, but I am a therapist and I pay attention to these things too. Is uh, they talk about that, you know, you can, you and all your beautiful resources and talents and everything, someone can still knock it all down and try to convince you that you're nothing. And that's to keep you stuck there. Um, and so when you you draw a line and you get out, which, you know, just a warning there for folks who are in violent relationships, there is a place to go to uh, get support and that's hotlines, therapists, support groups, a lot of stuff online now that's free. Um, college campuses often have free or low cost clinics. There's just there's always a 24-hour hotline somewhere where somebody will talk to you and that's that might be your first person that takes you seriously um could i share some of those right now Shannon? yeah but this little bit the last p but the ps was it can be dangerous to when you first try to get out so it, it's something you want to take caution with and get support with and have someone on your team to help you figure out what to do when you're finally ready to go go ahead emma thanks um some supports for people who are transgender non-binary and have been victims of domestic violence or sexual violence um one of the first places that i would recommend is the trans lifeline um you can reach them at 1-877-565-8860 and you can also find them online at translifeline.org um, also, the Anti-Violence Project, which is um, at avp.org. And then a really great place if you're looking for resources for trans people who have suffered all kinds of abuse and who are looking for resources is actually the National Center for Transgender Equality. We've had them on the show before. And you can reach them at transequality.org. Um, if you're interested in pursuing legislative issues or legal issues, such as um, if you have questions about what are your rights as a transgender person who's been assaulted, or what are your rights if you feel reluctant, like reporting to the police, you can go to the Transgender Law Center, and that's transgenderlawcenter.org. And that's a group of transgender lawyers who are there specifically to advocate for trans public policy. So those are a few places to go. Back to you, Nicolette. Thank you so much, both uh, Emma and Sh Shannon. I got that right, Shannon? Okay. <laughs> for a minute, I was thinking Sharon, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> um, let's see, Marcy, we haven't heard much from you. Do you wanna share anything? So, um, yeah, to to go back to what Shannon was speaking on, I just I feel like it goes from the beginning of time, you know, that that we're lying. We don't know who we really are. We're not truthful. We're um, evil or vindictive in some way. Uh, we're meant, you know, none of that's true, but we are demonized. We are looked down on. We are looked as less than as not equal and plays a big role into why we're not being believed. Um, for me, the one of two, the one of the big main, um, because there have been several incidences where I never reported, is because I don't believe I'm going to be believed, and I haven't been. I don't feel like there was any actions taken towards any resolution of what happened towards me. Um, there's two separate incidences I can think of, both of which I I reported to the police, and both of which. I feel were handled incorrectly and um, I wasn't believed. Um, the first incidence was um, some uh, verbal and physical violence towards me by my upstairs neighbor and I even had some money stolen from me which was found on her um, when they did arrest her. Um, she was let go and um, they didn't charge her. She wasn't charged with a hate crime. She wasn't charged with anything. And, and she even brought up my trans status. She said, she said that I didn't have a vagina, so I or, or something to do with my reproductive organs, and so I wasn't a real woman, or whatever the case was. And you know, these th that was stated, but yet, and she was not charged with a hate crime. 
Um, and then when I was raped, um, and that took me a whole year because uh, for a whole year I I was saying that I was sexually assaulted, right? It took me a year to actually say rape and that that's what it was and acknowledge that that's what happened to me. And I recognized that I was downplaying it um, by, I was minimizing it by calling it a sexual assault. It didn't feel as bad um, when I called it a sexual assault over rape. Um, and then when I did report that, um, there's still no closure. I never got a phone call from them telling me it was closed or that it was finalized. I never got a report. I don't even know what, I don't even know what the report says. this is so painful because it's it's you have no resolution you have no sense of fairness or justice or anything I mean I, I think this is why there are rape advocate volunteers that uh, organizations will have trained volunteers maybe we should find something like that locally but people who will um, help a help a person make reports, help a person go through whatever medical stuff they need to, you know, in support at a time of a rape and things like this. Um, we do have a, there's some kind of victim assistance program. Most, I think every state has one now, who knows with some of the way the states are acting right now, but I know Oregon does have a crime victim and survivors uh, services it's like a Department of Just Oregon Department of Justice thing. Um, and I did read that it doesn't have to have a police report um, to, to access some of the services. So um, some of it is like anything that's expenses associated with being harmed, including counseling or medical care. Um, I'm trying to think what else. That's the one that grabs my attention because there, uh, there, there was usually some kind of financial assistance, but it's not immediate. Anyway, I, I was thinking about more along the lines of a volunteer advocate, like someone who's been through it, who knows exactly what kind of advocating someone who's been assaulted needs and who will volunteers to do that with you or for you or by you or you know anyway that I'm thinking along those lines that having to go through this and face this alone and hit this wall of lack of resolution over and over again is, is a lot it's too much to ask for one person to go through um, since since 2013 um, trans women in addition to all women are protected by the Violence Against Women Act. A lot of trans women don't realize that um, you have the right to access help as a survivor, regardless of your gender, your transition status, or your gender expression. Uh, the Violence Against Women Act, which was passed on a federal level, um, may apply if you're seeking help from police or sheriff, prosecutors, courts, rape crisis centers, domestic violence, shelters, housing, legal aid, hotlines or counseling, support groups or education programs. There's a lot in place that's there to support trans women, but part of the reason we're doing this show tonight is because trans and non-binary people get the message that they're, they're, if, they, if they talk about what happened to them, it's not gonna really be counted. Um, they're not gonna follow through on giving trans women reports. They're not going to get back to them with their questions. 
Um, they're just going to kind of leave them hanging. And uh, we're here to do the show to remind all of our listeners that there is a community there of people that will support you. And there are laws on place that totally support you. You have every right under the law to demand like the complete access of justice that is your due measure as a victim, including access to reports, including your right to file reports, um, and including your right to see prosecution and, um, you know, uh, punishment for people who have uh, victimized you. Sorry, Nicolette, back to you. Oh, no, thank you so much, Emma. Um, so I think we've got about 10 minutes left. Do we have any final thoughts or anything else on this topic we would like to touch on? I was looking that up. I mean, I just like to say that. Go ahead, Shannon. The Trans Folks Added to Violence Against Women Act. I'm looking at that and just looked it up while you're talking about it and noticing how it's been around, you know, adding trans women to the Violence Against Women Act, you know, we're going on since 2013. So, I mean, this stuff is really on the down low. We really need to, I, I love that you brought this up because I don't think a person who's been assaulted has any idea how the heck to engage with this kind of help. And I mean, it's so much shame and avoidance for good reason. People aren't taking you seriously and you've been harmed. So um, that's, that's probably why we really gotta reach out to community organizations that are for sexual violence and the trans community, you know, doing that so that you can find how to get access to these um, supports, these grants, all these different things to help survivors. Yeah, these resources are here. I mean, they're in place, but part of, part of the challenge is like creating culturally competent providers who understand when a trans woman comes in and tells them or a non-binary person comes in and tells them or a trans man comes in and tells them or a trans person of color comes in and tells them. Um, part of it's like getting accustomed to the idea of providers being able to hear and to recognize when someone is telling them a story that they need support for because we don't, we're just in a transitionary period right now where transgender people aren't taken seriously. They're treated as if they're mentally ill, as if they're, you know, they have, they have a, um, a fetish, as if they're, um, they, 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 they've been manipulated by, by other people into behaving the way that they have. I mean, there's already all of these judgments that a transgender non-binary first person faces when they come to speak to a law enforcement officer, when they come to speak to a provider, when they're seeking resources. And so that becomes like just one barrier in like a, a, a number of barriers that they're going to encounter uh, just like Carter was talking about before, just like Marcy was talking about, just like Nicolette was talking about, these barriers that they're going to encounter when they're trying to get services or to report a crime or, you know, something that has made them into a victim. And those barriers are huge. I mean, transgender people are strong. They're resilient. They have a lot of courage. But even transgender people aren't superheroes. I mean, they still, it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of inner strength and we don't always have it. I mean, we only have so many spoons. We only have so much emotional energy that we can put into reporting when we've been victimized. And we need our providers to kind of go the distance too and to recognize and validate us when we come and tell them our stories. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. Um, so 
yeah, I, I think it's about time to start wrapping up in the last few minutes. Does anyone else have any final thoughts they'd like to share? Well, my work uh, with race talks here in Portland, we do a lot of focusing on how do we get people to move from talk to action and being folks who make change happen and make things better for everyone. And we look at it through the lens of race at race talks, but we're always seeking to address intersectionality. So, um, so anyway, I back to my point. Sorry, I'm a little getting a little tired, but the but what I'm trying to say is um, you're hearing these stories, you're hearing these experiences, you're having them yourselves, whoever's listening. Uh, maybe none of this has happened to you, but I'm pretty sure you know someone that it has happened to. Um, and you do now because you met these people on the, from the show, this podcast. And um, this is really me saying what are you going to do about it? Not you survivors here we're talking to, but the allies, the community members, those who wear a pin that says you're an ally, who will hold a sign or will make a social media post. That's not the ally that folks who are going through harm, who are having their safety threatened, who are not being taken seriously when crimes have been committed against them uh, with violence. Uh, they don't need another social media post. They need someone who's going to call a school, call an agency, call a police department, write a letter to a judge, whatever it is that you can connect to where you, you can see where is it that you have the passion for? Is it, um, is it, is it the local law enforcement? Can, can you find an advocacy group that is doing this work that you can then join in existing work and, and add your voice to it? And I don't, again, mean just a social media voice. I mean, someone who's working to pressure changes. Do you wanna go and volunteer and get trained to be a rape advocate? Maybe you've been through sexual assault and have seen healing happen for yourself and you can step up and be an advocate. It's just think about all the different ways and start thinking about how to do something about it instead of just a book group. Because this is the kind of thing that tends to happen, I know, with white allies as we get really into our book groups. And we need to get our book groups moved in, you know, moving us into action about what we're gonna do differently or how we're gonna galvanize those around us to change. Thank you so much for that, Shannon. Hi, this is em Emma. I just wanted to uh, share a resource that I think could be especially useful for folks um, at the end of the show here. It's um, the Transgender Sexual Violence Survivors Self-Help Guide to Healing and Understanding. So again, that's the um, Transgender Sexual Violence Survivors <clears throat> self-help guide to healing and understanding and it was uh it looks like it's put out by an organization called forge dash forward anyways it's a 132 page pdf but it's really great it's just completely packed with resources to help understand what happens to a transgender person when they're sexually assaulted um, it starts by talking about trauma and its aftermaths. Um, it has really great information about the brain and trauma and readings on how trauma affects the brain. Um, they talk about the after effects of sexual abuse or assault, including problems with regulating your emotions, feeling isolation, avoidance, denial, uh, dealing with shame, guilt, and self-blame. And then, of course, the hamster wheel of depression, anxiety, self-harm, and suicide. Uh, they talk about substance abuse, the physical health problems that come out of trauma, and the high need for control versus the feeling of helplessness. Uh, they also address anger, 
sleep disturbances, irritability, uh, re-victimization and reenactment, as well as interpersonal problems. And they also have additional readings on the after effects of sexual assault or trauma. Again, this is the um, this is put out by an organization called ForgeForward.org. It's a self-help guide to healing and understanding. Uh, but what's really great about this document, it's a 132-page PDF, is that it really gets into specifically transgender survival or transgender survivors of sexual abuse. Um, they talk about the, the, the myths and the real statistics around sexual violence, including um, the idea that you're too young or you should be responsible, uh, that you don't understand that sexual assault encompasses what happened to you. And uh, they talk about additional complications due to gender identity and wanting to deny or avoid thinking about the trauma. Uh, they talk about how most transgender survivors have experienced repeated sexual violence. Most transgender people were first assaulted as a child or youth. Most perpetrators were known to the victim. More than a quarter of transgender survivors have been assaulted by females. Uh, gender is sometimes perceived as the motivator of the abuse. And survivors rarely report the abuse. So these are really, this is a really great resource. Uh, again, as you're listening to the show today and you're maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by this information, I would encourage you to check out this uh, resource guide called A Self-Help Guide to Healing and Understanding uh, specifically for transgender folks. Um, they also talk about trans-specific aspects of sexual assault. Um, is it anti-trans abuse or is it sexual abuse? Obviously, it's both. Uh, cause and effect, um, trans bodies and dysphoria, not being believed or minimizing the assault. It's a huge deal for transgender folks. And then in the second half of the book, they talk about um, techniques for dealing with it. So ways to help recover, including techniques for coping with strong emotions, breathing, getting physical, using your voice. Um, they describe exercises and concepts for healing, dialogues, uh, coping with triggers, um, making meaning out of your experience. Uh, they talk about the five stages of healing emotionally, uh, being witness to your emotions, and challenging maladaptive or problematic beliefs that um, you know help to reinforce your victimization. They talk about attachment styles, relationship issues. Um, so. Anyways, it's a great resource. I would definitely encourage you to check it out. It's called A Self-Help Guide to Healing and Understanding, and it's put out by Forge, forge-forward.org. It's a 132-page PDF, and it's a great resource for folks who are victims of, um, transgender folks who are victims of sexual assault or domestic violence. Um, I guess, yeah, my final thoughts would be First of all, to anyone who's listening who has been through abuse or assault of any kind, first thing I want you to know is it is not your fault and you did not deserve what happened to you. And second of all, I want you to know you are not alone. There is support, there are resources, there is help, and there is treatment for your trauma. And there are many of us who will stand with you and support you. And to anyone else who's listening, if someone comes to you and tells you that they have been abused or assaulted, please listen to them. Please take them seriously and please give them whatever support you can. Maybe even ask, what can I do to support you? Be an ally. Thank you. That's a great note to end the show on, Nicolette. Um, <clears throat> I just like to remind people that if you're looking for support, um, a couple of places you can go are the Trans Lifeline, which is one eight seven seven five six five eight eight six zero, or online at translifeline.org. Um, the uh, the anti violence project, avp.org, and a really great place to just connect with all kinds of resources. Um, if you've been a victim of assault or domestic violence, is the National Center for Transgender Equality. 
at transequality.org. Thank you, Emma. All right, do we want to close up for the night? Yeah, Mercy, do you have anything else you'd like to share? Um, no, thank you. I'm, I'm good. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. You've been listening to Transpositive um, during this very important discussion about experiencing abuse and assault as trans people. Uh, have a good night. Uh, if anyone wants to, you can say goodbye. Thank yeah. you. Good night. Just remember, thank you everyone for being here. Just take good care of yourselves. Good night, and thank you, everybody. Thank you. Transgender people don't live here. I've never met anyone who's transgender. I swear I don't know someone who's transgender. Transgender and non-binary people like me hear this all the time. But according to the HRC Foundation, there are more than 2 million transgender people in the United States. We live in every community across this country. You might be surprised to hear that there are more transgender and non-binary people in the United States than there are. Starbucks, McDonald's, and Walmart locations combined. In fact, if you put us all together, there'd be more non-binary and transgender folks than the populations of DC, or Nebraska, or Maine, or Idaho, or West Virginia. As a matter of fact, 15 states have a lower population than the amount of trans folks in the U.S. So here are a few things to keep in mind. You don't always know when a person is trans. But we're your neighbors, your co-workers, your students, your customers, and even your friends and family. We exist in every culture, todas las culturas, throughout human history. And while we're more visible than ever before, sometimes you just don't see us. So when you hear about politicians 